Hello and welcome to Geek Sweat. We are the news, reviews and interviews podcast available for you on 60 plus different platforms. We have all of the segments that you need from Trailer Talk, MKH Cup, Horror Code, now changed to Terra Terra, as well as Dom's Docs, Review Sweat and much, much more. Today, we are doing something brand new as part of our series, which is we are inviting lots of different people onto the episode. But first, we are going to bring back a familiar voice, and it's King Dom. King Dom, how are you doing today? Yeah, really good. Good to be here as always. How are you doing, TJ? I'm not too bad, but I'm very, very excited to do our next new segment, which is actually going to be called Stream Team. So I'm just going to try and explain the premise of Stream Team for everybody who is listening for the first time and perhaps our new listeners, our old listeners who haven't heard of it before. Stream Team is going to be a segment where we're going to be looking at brand new or relatively new feature films that have been on a cinema but are now available to look at online from a streaming platform. So throughout the course of this season, we're going to be nominating the brand new latest ready to own, ready to download or stream feature films that we think you should pay attention to. So our guests on the stream team are also going to be from the podcasting universe. So we are going to be having prisoners of the podcast on our first episode. So I'd like to introduce two young gentlemen from across the water and the practically next door neighbours to us in Ireland in MDK Productions. So welcome to the show, Noel, John and Vinny. Thanks for having us. Hey guys, glad to hear you. Glad to see that you're on board and thank you for joining us on this Zoom call. We have got a brand new feature film for you to watch. But before we get into that, could you tell us a little bit about one of the podcasts that you work on? Because you MDK Productions seems to be a behemoth that's doing a lot of work online in the podcast community. Um, yeah, so we are uh, MDK Productions, Murder Deck Kill Productions, uh, named after uh, the Demolition Man. What's the Demolition Man connection? Yeah, uh, I just love the movie, and uh, we were spitballing names one time, and I just started chuckling to myself, and I was like, "How about Murder Deck Kill?" Yeah, <laughs> For, you know, on that utopia, utopia future, they finally had to have the first Murder Deck Kill. Yeah, in, like, they call one X eight. amount of years. Oh, That's what homicide. the code is called. Cool, 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 cool. Yeah instead of homicides to call them murder deck kills and it just popped in my head but like most of my any idea i come up with usually just pops in my head and i just throw it to people and see what they think yeah. and if we go with we go with it so yeah so uh, we do two podcasts invasion of poly snatch but the one we'd like to talk about uh, uh, uh here would be dark side of the moon um uh, because that's folks are more like fantasy superhero that kind of stuff and um we're, we're currently doing a phase one series at the moment where we went back to the start of the MCU, we're having guests come on and we're breaking down those movies. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's why we're here at the moment. Uh, just kind of talk a little bit about uh, Prisoners of the Ghost Land and this uh, bonkers fantasy movie that you got us to watch. And uh, <laughs> well, the, the thing is, your podcast is called Dark Side of the Moon. This could be called Dark Side of the Cage or Welcome to the Cage Rage: Days of Thundergrown because. This is the multiplex, multiverse, multi-mix of feature films that only Nicolas Cage is capable of. And I think there's only two worlds that we know of when we appreciate a Nicolas Cage film, which is the Oscar-winning, astute performance, emotional, heart-wrenching movie, or the balls-to-the-wall, 
I don't believe um, what I, where I've just woken up after my hangover kind of ass-kicking feature film. And today's one, like you'd mentioned, is called Prisoners of a Ghostland, which is somehow set in Japan as an American horror mixed with a Western film with a kind of a, a post-apocalyptic dystopian Japanese nuclear tragedy along the way. So, um, King Dom, you've watched this um, feature film. I mean, what were your expectations from Nicolas Cage in Prisoners of a Ghostland? Um, well, God knows, no one expects subtlety from Nicolas Cage, but I think he might just have topped himself with this one. Actually, do you know what I should ask all of you? What was the last Nicolas Cage film that you watched before you came to Prisoners of a Ghostland? So, um, Noel John, um, just one title for us. Willie's Willy's Wonderland. Okay, okay. And Vinny, what about yourself? Space. Colour and Space. Okay, and Kingdom? I actually re-watched Wild at Heart. Wild at Heart. I think Wild at Heart was one of my last ones with a Nicolas Cage uh, feature in it. But I think also, uh, what was the one that he did with the, uh, he did the remake with the Bad Lieutenant um, in oh, New Orleans. Yes. Werner yeah. Herzog again. Yeah, I think that was probably the last one because I might have seen that at late night TV. Werner so, Herzog is becoming a running theme of this podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's been a, done a couple of documentaries, so he's a bit of a wild, wild child himself. But the thing is, this Prisons of a Ghost Land, the best way I can describe it in the popcorn style is this is what David Lynch would look like if he had made, had the budget to make Mad Max instead of June. And it feels like you are in a world where you just come out of a Nicolas Cage four day bender and he's woken up and, mm. and he doesn't know what, what's happening around him. And Nicolas Cage seems to have a bad connection with bank robberies as well. So I'm just going to try and summarize what this plot is. Uh, he about. wouldn't be your <laughs> ideal heist partner, would he? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so he's basically very accident prone when it comes to um, bank robberies. Liable to lose a body part. <laughs> Indeed. So um, Prison of the Ghostland, 2021 film uh, with a new collaborator called Sion Sono. The script is by Aaron Hendry and Reza Sixo Sapphire, which might explain the multitude of different ideas. And a plot basically revolves around a notorious criminal who's actually literally called Hero. H-E-R-O, I'm not making it up. And he's been sent to rescue the governor's adopted granddaughter who's disappeared into a dark region called the Ghostland, which is a area where people believe ghosts are um, being exhumed or coming up from the ground and haunting the local community and trapping their souls there. So this film premiered in the Sundance Film Festival this year. But we bear in mind, I probably want to mention that this is a pandemic film as well. So it feels like this film got produced during the pandemic and there's that kind of vibe that's going on around it. But first of all, I mean, what, what, what can we say about the suit that Nicolas Cage finds himself in? Or doesn't find himself in. What, what do you call that thing that, he's, that he comes out of his little cell in? It's kind of a leather codpiece, uh, one-piece onesie, isn't it? Yeah, I'm sure there's a name for it. It's what sumo wrestler seemed to wear. Yeah. Oh, the first, actually, the first outfit was the sumo wrestler kind of tie, tie down because he starts off naked. I forgot about that, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought, like, they got the Westworld costume studio and that somebody just said action and somebody goes, oh, I guess I'm dressed like a god. I'm a god. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 
I think it was all done in like basically one take to the best of their ability. Like, yeah. you know, it, by Nicolas Cage's standards, he somehow topped himself. Uh, I don't know if I loved or hated this film. I only watched it today, so my brain is still yeah, processing yeah, yeah. it. I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. But uh, it, it, I, it was so unashamedly over the yeah, top yeah. that you kind of end up forgiving it a lot. And when the film is self-aware, you're able to just sit back and enjoy it. So I, I definitely enjoyed to it. Me, to me, it felt like a live-action manga. Okay. Yeah. You know, and I think originally I'd say that part that uh, Nicolas Cage played was probably Hero, spelled with an I. And I wouldn't be surprised if they just changed it to Hero because they recast the Japanese actor as Nicolas Cage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But also, I think Hero is pronounced the same way in Japan as well. It might, it might be spelled H-I-R-O, like literally, yeah. yeah. Wasn't there a character in Heroes? Yeah, show yes. that was called Heroes. Hero. Yeah. Yeah. To kind of say, like, we are trying to be culturally appropriate to the Japanese audience. But the um, the thing that I found interesting is, like, you mentioned this could have been an anime, and I'm thinking of um, Samuel Jackson when he put his voice to uh, Samurai. Afro Samurai. Thank you very much, Noel John. But the, the interesting thing is, this is like Nicolas Cage could have just as easily done a good job if he'd done the, done the voice, but he actually puts his body into it. And he is, there's this obvious kind of color coordination to kind of, if you've missed the first 10 minutes of the film, it's the guy who's wearing black is the bad guy who's looking for redemption. And the guy who's wearing all white, who's a kind of a Colonel Sanders kind of styled evil villain who's kind of managed to take over a whole town in Japan is now seen as the bad guy, but he's, he's applauded literally as he comes in on um, some kind of chauffeur driven vehicle. I mean, Dom, was this a bit too hammer on the head from Nicolas Cage for you as a opening to a feature film? I think anyone who chooses to watch this will be looking for the usual Nicolas Cage thing, which is hammer on the head. Yeah. He just doesn't do half measures. He just tears into every performance. And this mm. was really no exception. Yeah. And the film was meeting him halfway with just enough off the wall craziness. In fact, there was enough off the wall craziness for about five films, let alone one. Yeah. I mean, I've got to try, try and whiz through like this kind of 15 minute intro that almost seems unbelievable that it actually happened. So you've got Nicolas Cage who starts off in uh, sitting on the ground in the dust wearing, um, I'm not sure if it's like the sumo wrestler's kind of belt pouch thing. He's like basically naked. He's dragged out as the governor comes in uh, to town uh, with his entourage uh, applauding him. And he's basically asked to strip in front of the town center and everybody even including a sketch artist it just so happens and actually put on this new suit which is actually a leather kind of onesie which is kind of filtered with different bombs two one on each arm and two around the testicles and apparently and the, and the last one is around the neck. Thank you, Noel John. And the idea is that these bombs are going to go off at, as trigger points at some point in the film, depending on his behaviours and decisions as he tries to rescue the governor's adopted daughter, who seems to have been on the run for a specific reason because she wants to get out of one town, which seemed to be controlled by the governor, but now she's landed herself in hot water by being in this kind of Mad Max milieu, which is like a out of the frying pan into the fire pan situation. That, sorry, out of the frying pan into the fire situation as well. Uh, but does, did that plot kind of make sense to you or did it remind you of any other feature films that you'd seen before? <laughs> I don't think that plot could possibly make sense to anyone. Yeah. 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 I think, uh, yeah, it definitely reminded me of Mad Max, the smack of Mad Max, even the suit Nicolas Cage wore, the style, mm -hmm. the all letter, but the, uh, the post-apocalyptic uh, post world. Yeah. Yeah. But I just thought, um, 
it it, it it tried to contain too many subgenres within one movie. Yes. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, I think I texted Noel. I was like, I think this is set in a post-apocalyptic wasteland in America. That somehow happens. Feudal Japan that cowboy America. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I just think like it was just too too much, and it might have uh, paid off maybe as an anime or a manga because it, w- with that kind of medium, we're used to that kind of crazy mishmash of different jo- styles and genres and these over the top characters, you know. But it, sometimes that kind of aesthetic doesn't really translate itself onto the screen in terms of live action, yeah. and yeah. that's why we haven't had a lot of successful manga or animes adapted to live action, like you know, look at Ghost in the Shell stuff yeah. like this. Like you know, it just it doesn't seem to translate as well because of the over-the-top or outlandish kind of features that has to his narratives. Yeah. I think yeah. Prisoners of the Ghost Land is kind of something similar like that, where the, the narrative itself was so outlandish that yeah. it just distracted from the story. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, or even, the, sorry, I mean, the, the, the aesthetics were so uh, outlandish that they, they, they distracted from the story. I think one of the lurid things was obviously the bank robbery scene at the beginning, which is kind of a bit of a mind-blending situation where you've got this kind of version of a Japanese town or this appropriation of a Japanese town, which almost looks like a kind of a circus funfair situation. And it's actually two guys walking down the road in uh, like in there just long jackets like american tourists and it turns out one of these guys has got two like magnum 15 pistols behind him and one of them's got a shotgun and they boulder into a bank which looks like a kind of um a disney kind of center uh like showpiece but it's actually like a real proper bank inside with real people and it's a nightmare flashback that our main character hero has because of something that went wrong inside a bank robbery that him and his psychopathic friend tried to carry out. What did you feel? Did you feel that was like a necessary flashback scene that helped explain Nicolas Cage's motivation and what he was up to and why he was stuck in that town? Yeah. They never explained. Was he robbing the bank specifically? What was it he needed the money for? And how did he not know how unhinged his friend was? The guy just went in there and started shooting children. Yeah. <laughs> his know? name is Psycho. So, yeah, the character There's was called Psycho. In the name. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, you get what you pay for. <laughs> yeah, it's a roll of the dice. Maybe, maybe there's a, maybe there's a Tinder for bank robbers. I picture just a group of writers standing around a table and they're tired and they're just like, oh, "Why is he there?" And somebody just goes, uh, "Bank, bank robbery," and they go, <laughs> "Right, okay." Well, yeah. That's it. You know what I mean? Like this. I think Nicholas Cage oh, wow, has known what's been taught of him for a few years, and I think. He's just decided to lean into it. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, he's I, decided to lean in. So this place, this Japanese Western hybrid, it's just one town in an otherwise post-apocalyptic world. So yeah. do they even need banks? Wouldn't the governor just be controlling all the money in that town anyway? And it's called Samurai Town. Right. Wouldn't they have like a pretty finite amount of money? It wouldn't <laughs> yeah. be like a regular bank in a normal society. Yeah. I think I think the backstory might be that this governor who came into town may have been like some kind of rich millionaire, maybe from his Kentucky Fried Chicken days. I don't know, uh, but and he's brought his money into this small town to kind of repopulate it and uh, as it regenerate the town after some mad bad disaster that's happened on the outskirts. So he's kind of protecting this kind of enclave of people from the bad nuclear destructed world outside. Right. But then that world wouldn't have like a regular bank with branches where people hold accounts and okay. they're storing money, would it? I mean, what do you guys think? Was he was he doing uh, a good option running the town? Was he a good politician or political type player? I think he was a whole, it was that whole like, 
I need a lot of attention and a lot of women around me and I'm very powerful. He, again, he was a very nail on the head kind of character. He yeah. does declare, you know, and all this kind of shit. Um, yeah, I do. Dandy. I think he was just like one of the, the things where, you know, in every post-apocalyptic film, yeah. there's yeah. always somebody that um, has resources. Yeah. Yeah. And that person absolutely flies up the echelons yeah. Yeah. And uh, really of society because yeah. you have the fuel mm-hmm. and cars need fuel and you have the water and people need water. Or they never really said what it was he yeah, had, yeah, yeah. but clearly he had yeah. it, whatever yeah, it was. Summary. And it seemed to be maybe, yeah, it's, maybe he lived in a world where memes are worth a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe, yeah, he people knows need the chicken to live. You know? <laughs> the, the, the thing, the thing I want to ask is, well, I mean, we, I, we it happens early on in the film or early enough because right? I'll admit after half an hour I couldn't quite understand what was going on. But let's talk about the suit which kind of powered up and took out parts of Nicolas Cage. And sorry if there's any spoilers for this, but you really need to prepare yourself for what's about to happen. Do you mean including his... <laughs> or his, be- his piece of beetroot by the look of it, because it was like... See where he goes, like, if you told me like three days ago that I'd be standing here talking to you after losing my arm and my... He doesn't build up to the word at all. He's- stops and he, he Nicholas cages the fuck out of that one word i mean that was yes. a cage rage moment wasn't it oh that was, but that was it he didn't build up to it he put all the cage rage into two uh uh three syllables yeah, yeah. and it was just fantastic i mean that, I mean, that just that's what i was here for i mean me personally i felt it was building up because the cage rage was firstly him fighting like him being laughed at by the town community putting on the suit then fighting like it seemed like all of these samurai guys and just kicking their asses even of like six or seven guys with swords and then deciding i'm not going to take the toyota camry out to rescue the girl but i'm going to park it five hundred yards down the road and jump on a little girl's bike and let somebody <laughs> let the samurai guy chase me to kind of change the vehicle back over because I think he actually wanted to kill himself rather than rescue the girl, which is why he wanted to take the uh the little bicycle out. Do you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> that was my god, I've forgotten that. The whole yeah. and then the ninja follows him in the sports car and he's like, you know, the samurai dude, not an ninja. So, sorry, the samurai. But if you do watch the trailer, you're invited to understand that there's a booby-trapped battle royale style kind of suit, which has got a neck brace that can completes the connection, and there's two bombs like like no. It can sense when you're thinking of smacking a woman, which yeah. I thought was an interesting uh, feature. It's because uh, the the person that he was going to rescue is Sophie Batella, so she's a woman. So he didn't. I want know. Any but it should be like, yeah, I get that. But like, what impulse is it we send when we're specifically going to hit a woman? It just seems. Do, revenge. Uh, you thought he might hurt her or revenge or might rape her. That's yeah. what he put on. Do you think this was a director's um uh let's say conscious choice to undermine or underplay what the tradition the traditional American hero rescuer character is? So like just downplay all of the masculinity, downplay all of the bravado, and have this unusual anti-hero for once in an American film with foreign characters. Oh yeah, I do. Cause obviously it's usually like the, the woman is beautiful and all these kind of things. And, but he's above all that. He's just trying to get innocence to safety and stuff like that. And I thought it was interesting because when we want to talk about like how we're chemically lined up, you just see Sophia Batella and your nuts explode. I mean, that would be <laughs> what the suit would do. That, 
it's, it's just a beautiful woman. No, I would hate a sensor in my body that's going to blow up if I. If I but yeah, I do. It underplayed it. He was he was mm-hmm. very he was an anti-hero because he was in it for himself. Sure, basically, yeah. he was trying to get himself over a sticky situation. Vinny, did you feel that there was a kind of a seductive moment shared between? Uh, Nicholas Cage and Sophia Boutella when he eventually rescues her. I mean, what, how do you feel that came across? Uh, where he pours the water into her mouth and his nuts explode. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, let's go into graphic details. Is this the worst testicle? I'm going to call it testicide. But is, <laughs> is this the worst testicide that we've seen in a feature film? Yeah, I think like he actually he got up and took it like a champ. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, he operated for a good portion of that movie with one ball. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like that was a new like 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 if somebody exploded my testicle. That's the end of the mission. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I am jumping. Because the thing is, he actually goes, he, he kind of walks it off and ends up going into his martial arts zone and kicking the ass of these kind of zombie creatures after as well. I mean, Dom, do you feel like Nicolas Cage is more of a badass now that he survived testicide? Oh, definitely. I mean, <laughs> you know, what, what else can take him out now? Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll admit, I was grabbing my Never Regions when I saw that scene of the Not explosion. in the way you usually do. Not yet, yeah, not in a comfortable way. And Nicolas Cage made me feel very vulnerable at that moment, or the director made me feel very vulnerable because it was a horrible thing to, to see for me because it was like it was like a pocket grenade that went off, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, and it was almost worse that it was like one of them. A... It's just one perfect testicle pop. And it just, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it just sends these chills up your spine. And I don't know how it forwards the story. You know, nothing ever seemed to be an actual storytelling device. Well, I thought that as a storytelling device, it was like Chekhov's gun. Like the principle, if you show the gun in the first act, it has to go off in the third. And Mm. that suit was Chekhov's gun. It was Chekhov's testicle bomb. You're going to show what you have to use. And it was quite random. It didn't feel like it was built up. It wasn't the musical (laughs) drama that built up to it. It Yeah, it wasn't a Saving Private Ryan moment, was it? No, it certainly wasn't. (laughs) But it was a (laughs) Saving... <laughs> Remember near the end of the film, you feel like Sophie, Sophie Vitella all of a sudden, yes. Oh, by the way, yeah. she's yeah. also like a kung fu master. Yeah. Yeah. Makes nothing, sense. Everybody nothing to insinuate that she was like these, these two gymnasts show up, like backflipping and stuff, and she just butchers the two of them. And you're like, okay. At this point, it's made so little sense. She's been living, along for the living with Samurai. It's like life. it's like trying to explain a roller coaster mm-hmm. as you're on it. You know, it's 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 happening to you, and you and it's 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 too much to take in and try yeah. and actually. And I've got to say two things about this feature film. If, if it wasn't made clear to anybody, the adopted uh, granddaughter or granddaughters are actually the sex slaves of the uh, the governor, and I feel that there may be like a human trafficking, sex slave prostitution thing going on, which is probably how he's perpetuating his money. Yeah. But the other side of it is this ghost land is actually a wasteland, which is inhabited by kind of half crazed outcasts and victims of the irradiated environment. And it's kind of like, it's almost like a, uh, how do I say, it's it's the hangover or it's, it's it's got some geopolitical subtext about the environmental issues, how we treat nuclear waste and perhaps the relations between America and Japan. So do you feel that the story may have been trying to hold spin too many plates in terms of its message. I think it just threw about 10 plates in the air and that gravity to the rest. (laughs) But yeah, I do. I think it tried to actually have some sort of substance to it, but it got so buried inside of its own chaotic silliness that I think you would be 
they're tenuous strings of a story mm-hmm. as opposed to anything that you can really wrap your hands around and say there this is actually about geopolitical pressures between two strong nations and their you know whatever the tensions over oil or tensions over nuclear mm-hmm. energy but no i did like i i flirted with it yeah and never actually got anywhere with it i think yeah no like if someone was to tell me that like uh godzilla was uh made because of the fallout it's pretty much japan saying of the fallout from the nuclear explosions with hiroshima and nagasaki and that's where uh, god the, the idea of godzilla came from this monstrosity that was able to come in and just just level the entire cities that makes sense to me but like what prisoners of course that it seemed to me like someone was trying to try something really unique and pick the wrong medium to to do it in mm-hmm. you know as i said to you earlier it felt like a manga or it felt like an anime i think it, it belongs to a different medium and i think it would have transported itself better into that kind of realm um, with nicholas cage as the lead actor i think you have to lean into the outlandish nature of the storyline and he, he'll do that anytime you know what i mean but like i just think like when you have samurais old western style apocalyptic wasteland you know you have a damsel in distress you have mutants or something you know i just it's too many things it's like like there's six or seven different things in one narrative they're trying to cram into an hour and 48 minutes or whatever you know Mm. and so kingdom did you feel that there was a turning point where this story kind of made sense or nicholas cage was like bringing it home for the team or hero was bringing the granddaughter home for example to me, the story never really made sense. It felt kind of incoherent from start to finish, and the science fiction felt very cursory. It didn't feel like it was a metaphor for anything. It didn't feel like it meant anything. It felt like we're going to have all these elements because they're cool. They don't really mean anything. We're just going to throw them into the mix and see what happens. So it was definitely like style over substance for me in terms of the meaning of the film. And I guess the Nicolas Cage performance was part of the style because it's part of the overall over-the-topness as much as the frantic visual style was and the different influences in design. Well, you know, most feature films, you kind of go there, you get popcorn and Coke, or you might watch a film at home with a pizza. This feels like the feature film where you need two beers and like a side saucer of crystal meth because (laughs) that's the only way that this kind of all comes together nicely. Um, I mean... Vinny, if you was to watch this film again, who would you hang out with to watch it? Noel. <laughs> and make him watch it again. Yeah. If I have to suffer through it. And now, who would you pick if you had a choice of who, who you wanted to watch this film with again? Knowing what you've seen. If I had to watch it again, I think I'd to watch We have to show Lorraine. And yeah, we just have to show the, the, the dark house, <laughs> they who must be obeyed, um, into the mix. Because again, because... Like I was asked after watching this film, I watched this film on my own just at an hour, two hours before yeah. I came on, and uh, she was like, "What? So how was it?" And I was like, uh, "Okay, <laughs> words. I, I know some adjectives. Yeah. Now, if I put some adjectives in a row, using pronouns and verbs, I had nothing. I had nothing. <laughs> so, so now I almost want everyone to watch it just so yeah. I can. Yeah. They can be in that kind of uh, piece of place of limbo." There's yeah. so little structure that if I tried to explain it, I was it would be the ramblings of a madman. Mm. Mm. Just like Batman, I want him to know that 
Oh, my enemies know my own fear, you know? Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly it, yeah. The, the thing is, for me, I think if I was to watch this film, I'd like to watch it with the executive producer because I'd like to know, like, at what point did he know that this was a greenlit movie and it was good to go? Because I'm wondering whether Nicolas Cage just sealed the deal and said, let's just see what happens on camera. Or if it's like, no, this is the plot that is going to bring Nicolas Cage to the table and give us our, like, half a million budget. I mean, Dom, who would you bring uh, to sit down with you and watch this film again? So if I had to watch it a second time, I think I would watch it with my old roommate. I used to have a roommate called Kenny, and we would watch at least three films every week, and then we would go away and write our own review and rating and come back and compare. And it was amazing, the synchronicities. Sometimes we're in total agreement. Sometimes it was like we'd watched a completely different film. But he would like catch things that I never saw and vice versa. So cool. for a complete fresh take on it, I would bring back Kenny. He's in Thailand now, so it's probably a long way to come. Cool, cool, cool. So guys, um, I mean, because this is the first Dream Team, I'm not sure how you'd want to rate this film. Um, if you, if we should do it as a kind of a out, out of five stars or out of ten stars or uh, who we should hang out with to watch it. But um, I mean, I feel like we would have to completely ignore the rules. Like, you know, out of five stars, I'd give it a fish. <laughs> It's that kind of film. How about yourself? I mean, th this is a film where at some point, uh, Nicolas Cage loses, or Hero, the character played by Nicolas Cage, loses the use of his right arm, attaches a spike onto it, and ends up in a samurai sword fight with a kind of a, a kind of uh, a chosen warrior or a kind of or yeah, a, like a god tier samurai. Shogun warrior, like, yeah. Yeah, it's a Shogun warrior moment. So, and and he kind of comes out like in a kind of there's some a few interesting fights. This isn't uh, John Cho doing martial arts in Cowboy Bebop, but it's some there is spectacle there. There are lurid colors and details. But but what's your rating of it of this kind of film? Have you got anything better than a fish? Yeah, I, I, I'm thinking like three stars and a bruised Mandarin. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I don't know, like it's it, it's so it's so insane that I think in the right mood in the right setting, it's the yeah, perfect yeah. film. But that's a rare setting, sure, sure. so I find it hard to actually quantify it because I can't say it's a bad movie because it was crazy enjoyable, mm -hmm. but at the same time, it was clearly a very bad movie. <laughs> so, yeah. so I'm just gonna say I'm just gonna like sit on the fence like a pussy and just say two and a half out of five stars cool 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 and Vinny you've got your own metric now if, if you want to use it how would you want how would you like to rate this film um in terms of quality it's not it's it's a mess but like I definitely would recommend it but like I always say like because the film is bad doesn't mean you should shut and watch it like you know like you yeah. know, some of my favorite movies are the ones that entertain me the most are bad because they're just so outlandish or so crazy like literally I was watching that and I chuckled so much throughout that movie whether it was intentionally trying to make me laugh or not I laughed a lot during that movie like a lot like it was it's just it's it's kind of like pure, just like turn your brain off, leave, leave it in a different location <laughs> and come along like it's not, and just sit down and try and ingest it and then try and then shed the memory. So maybe you'll forget about it enough that you'll go and watch it again someday, you know? <laughs> so I just think like I'd give it about four out of ten, <laughs> but um, I just think you should, everyone should see it. <laughs> I'm going to give this rating and not even a numerical value. I'm going to give it a quantitative thing. I'm just going to say 
it has to be seen to be believed. It's just the craziest film that you're ever going to see. It came out on 17th of September, 2021, and it's actually due for release on Amazon prime video, um, as part of the, I suppose the Nicholas Cage season from January, 2021. So I think that is probably all we can say about the cage rage, um, of, uh, the story, but I think for fans of Nicolas Cage, this isn't the Oscar winning Nicolas Cage. This is the action packed Nicolas Cage. Who's trying to take on a post Hiroshima analogy and uh, probably fix U S Japan world relations uh, with his environmentalism. So um, does, is that fair enough um, account of what we saw? I think it's as fair as anything. It just was not coherent. Uh, okay, so I feel we've landed the plane on that one, um, or la- landed the uh, the testicle, the testicide, as it were, of Nicolas Cage. Um, but uh, before we close out and uh, leave our podcast listeners to go about their business, um, guys, could you tell us a bit more about uh, where we can find you on social media if people want to check out uh, Murder, Death, Kill Productions uh, material, and particularly Dark Side of the Moon podcast. Uh, yeah, you find Dark Side of the Moon on Spotify, Acast, Apple. We have a Facebook page, Adam McKay Productions 2020, and Murder Studios on Twitter, and Adam McKay on Instagram. Look us up. We share our episodes every Friday, and then we reshare them again on the following Tuesday. Cool, cool. And is there a specific way you spell Dark Side? Uh, yeah, like Dark Side Division uh, yeah, like from DC. Of course, that's D A R K S E I D. Well, guys, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, great to have you. We'll hopefully hear more from you in 2022, or at least our podcast listeners will. So that's been Noel John and Vinny from MDK Productions. Thanks for having us, guys. Thanks for having us, guys. Thanks for having us, boys. And thank you, King Don, for joining us on our first episode of Stream Team. Been a pleasure. And if you want to find out more about Geek Sweat's podcast collaborations with alternate podcasters as we go through new uh, films that are coming out, just find the hashtag S-T-R-E-A-M-T-E-A-M. That's hashtag Stream Team for your new segment in Geek Sweat. Thanks for listening. Ciao for now.